0: This is the InFocus podcast from the
1: Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host, G. Sampath. Following his victory in the November 1 elections and after securing a vote of confidence in parliament, Benjamin Netanyahu has become Prime Minister of Israel for a record sixth time. He now heads what has been described as the most right-wing government in Israel's history. The coalition government includes apart from Netanyahu's own right-wing Likud party, the far-right Jewish Power Party and the Jewish Supremacist Religious Zionist Party. Political observers and even Israel's own Western allies have expressed apprehensions at the inclusion in the government of what were hitherto fringe elements could lead to escalation of tensions with Palestinians and worsening of repressive measures in the occupied territories. There are also fears that life could become more difficult for secularists and left-wing groups in Israel. How justified are these fears? What is the likely agenda of the new government? And will Israel get more aggressive about expanding settlements and annexing territories? We look for answers to these questions in this episode of In Focus and joining us is Stanley Johnny the hindus international affairs editor stanley good to have you back uh,
0: thank you Sampath. Uh,
1: stanley to start with can you give us a quick uh, background on how israel came to have uh, the most far right government ever we know there's been a few years of instability so how did we suddenly reach uh, this point particular point
0: yeah uh, if you look at israel's contemporary political history you see israel has seen multiple elections in the last uh, few years, you know, five elections in four years. And especially in the last uh, uh, few elections, no government managed to, no coalition managed to secure enough seats uh, because Netanyahu continued as a lame duck prime minister for months, but his liquid coalition failed to win enough majority. So uh, after the last two last elections, actually the centrist parties, the centrist parties as well as one Arab party, they came together. Uh, to dethrone Netanyahu and finally they managed to form a coalition government, uh, you know, uh, the Naftali Bennett and the uh, Earl Lapid government. So Bennett, who was the leader of the Yamina party, Bennett had only six MKs, members of uh, the Knesset at that time. But uh, Lapid, who was the architect of the coalition, they wanted to keep Netanyahu away. Uh, so they wanted to uh, have a new political experiment. So he agreed to uh, you know, give the prime minister's post for the, in the initial two years to Naftali Bennett and then form the coalition. But Bennett had to resign uh, when the coalition crumbled. And Lapid became the interim prime minister and Israel went to polls again. So, you know, after these repeated elections uh, and when the established parties failed to form uh, governments after these elections, Uh, I think what we saw in the last election was that a clear polarization between the right-wing and far-right parties and the centrist parties. So the left-wing in the traditional sense we understand is non-existent in Israel. What Israeli media or the American media call uh, left-wing Israel are pretty much right-of-center parties. Uh, You know, the Labour Party has been decimated. Parties like Yesh Atid and Blue and White Those are called left-of-center or centrist parties, but they are practically, if you look at their foreign policy, economic policy, etc., etc., they may be socially liberal, but they are like a right-wing party. So Israel's political spectrum has clearly shifted to the right over the years. Labour was actually left-of-center, but Labour doesn't stand a chance to form a government in contemporary Israeli politics. So there is a clear shift. And who managed, who capitalized this shift the most was the far-right parties. Far-right means it's not just, uh, you know, right-wing parties. They, they include uh, parties like the United Torah Judaism, Shas. They include uh, uh, religious Zionism. So they are far-right, they are ultra nationalists. they are also ultra-Orthodox. So what we saw in the last election, in the 2022 election, was the far-right coming together around Benjamin Netanyahu. Because Netanyahu still remains a tall, towering figure in Israel's politics because he attacked the previous government, you know, for being, quote-unquote, weak, for failing to address the Iran challenge, challenge, etc., etc. So Netanyahu promised that he would bring, the Likud would bring back strong government to Israel. And then he, you know, joined hands with uh, these parties, including controversial... Uh, leaders such as Itaman Ben Givar, etc., etc. So you saw that in the 2022 election, uh, the Likud coalition clearly breaching that 61 mark, uh, you know, the magic number in the 120 member Knesset. So I think uh, the, the, the Netanyahu's coalition now commands the support of 64 MKs, uh, which is uh, huge uh, by the Israeli standards. They have the majority of 3 MKs. The previous coalition was had a raised thin majority of only one MK. That's why the government fell. Uh, so they have a stable government, so to speak, at this point of time with the support of 64 MKs. And they also have um, an ideologically cohesive entity, I would say, because in the past, Netanyahu had formed the, the government with both the right-wing ultra orthodox parties as well as the centrist parties, such as uh, you know uh, Avigdor Lieberman's secular nationalist party was a Netanyahu ally in the past. Uh, even Kahlon's party, which is also Eli Cohen's party, uh, Kunalu was part of the Netanyahu coalition. So in the, in the past, Netanyahu had struck alliances with both right-wing as well as the centrist parties or right-of-center parties. And Likud stood in between. But if you look at the current coalition, Likud is actually on the left of the coalition because all the other parties in the coalition are right-of-Likud. So, this is a more of an ideologically cohesive far-right government with a clear far-right agenda. That's what actually happened in Israel.
1: Right. It, it's quite strange to find that a right-wing uh, party like the Likud is uh, to the extreme left of this weird strange coalition. Now, you also mentioned that this is a coalition of parties which are ultra-nationalist and also ultra-authors. I just uh, was hoping that you'd elaborate on what you mean by ultra-authors because there's a lot of apprehension around two coalition entities, the Jewish Power Party and the Religious uh, Zionist Party, and especially their leaders, Ben Guvir and Bezalel Smotrish. I hope I get the names' uh, pronunciation correct. Why are liberals so worried about these leaders entering the political mainstream I mean, are they, I mean, generally we understand right wing, far right to be like, you know, neo-Nazi and stuff like that. But in this context, what does it really mean? So you look at
0: Netanyahu's allies, right? So Shas and United Torah Judaism were part of the government in the past, were part of the ruling coalition in the past. So their views were pretty much known to everybody. They wanted uh, the government, uh, you know, they actually wanted the government to protect uh, religious Jews their tradition, etc., etc., give more importance to them. They also wanted religious to be uh, Jews to be exempt from compulsory military service. They wanted more financial uh, benefits to uh, religious Jews. So they, their views are pretty much known. They are conservative in their political outlook. And they also want the government, uh, you know, they, they want better synergy between the clergy as well as the government. Whereas uh, the two leaders you mentioned, one is uh, uh, Ben Giver and his uh, my Yehudit Party, which is Jewish Power Party, and the other is uh, Smart Riches Party, Religious Zionism. So ben and Smart Rich came together this time, and they contested under the banner of uh, Religious Zionism, under the coalition of the Religious uh, Religious Zionism, which became part of the larger Likud coalition, and they did pretty well, uh, right? Because uh, Religious Zionist coalition coalition won fourteen seats, uh, which is eight seats more than what they won in the last election. So this time. So they, they became a critical component of uh, Netanyahu's coalition because Netanyahu's party itself, liquid won 32 seats. And uh, Religious Zionism became, Religious Zionism means including these two parties, both Riches and Vancouver's party. Now they have 14 seats. So they became instrumental in liquid's coalition now. And why there are apprehensions about them? You see, uh, from a liberal point of view, religious Zionism is known for its uh, very conservative, anti-LGBTQ, pro-settlement, pro-expansionist policies. And uh, they wanted, of course, religious Zionism uh, wanted, uh, they want the settlement territories to be annexed. So they, uh, they are very keen on passing legislation. Uh, allowing business, private business owners to deject LGBTQ people, services to LGBTQ people, etc. etc. So, this is a concern from a liberal po- from the liberal point of view. Whereas you look at the uh, other guy, Ben Kiver. Ben Kiver has been known as a fringe far right uh, extremist person in Israel's politics. He was on the fringe. He was uh, sentenced once for inciting terrorism and for links with the Jewish terrorist organization uh, in the past.
1: He has also been charged with uh, praising some, some terrorist act against yeah, yeah, Palestinians yeah, well, or something
0: for, for having links with the right-wing, uh, for, for having links with uh, a, a terrorist Jewish organization in the past and inciting racism. So he has been on the fringes of the Israeli politics till now. And Netanyahu just whitewashed him. He joined hands with him. Not just that, he has now become the security minister. Now he will have powers of the Israeli police, including border police. And Ben-Giver in the past had also wanted, uh, he had uh, proposed uh, sending off disloyal within courts Arab citizens of Israel to the, to the Palestinian territories. Because Israel is, yeah, it's called Jewish state, etc, etc. But it's a country with 20% of the population belonging to other faiths. Uh, so it is, it is actually a diverse country, Israel. But uh, Ben-Giver, also, he also challenged the loyalty of uh, Arab MKs. Uh, Because Israel has Arab parties and they have representation in Parliament, though they were part of the ruling coalition only once in Israel's 70 years of uh, history. Uh, But Israel always had Arab MKs in Parliament and Ben-Giver also challenged their uh, loyalty. He wanted disloyal uh, Arab citizens of Israel to be deported. And he also wanted, uh, the, you know, wanted to give police more powers to shoot down Palestinian uh, protesters including stone pelters. And these are the views that are there in the open for everybody to go and read. And this man is now the security minister. So I think the concerns are valid. They have a base. And the concerns about these two parties becoming um, a part of uh, um, a government. And they also, if you look at the uh, coalition document, uh, because which Mr. Netanyahu had signed, which he proudly upheld in his parliamentary speech before, right before the government was announced, government was uh, formed. Uh, so the coalition agreement says that they wanted to uh, implement judicial reforms, which means empowering parliament to override the judiciary. And why they are doing so? Because the right-wing political parties in Israel have long been complaining that judiciary doesn't represent the uh, or judiciary is biased against the right-wing ideals or judiciary is biased towards the minorities, protecting the minorities. Uh, So they wanted to empower parliament to override uh, even the Supreme Court decisions on a majority vote, on a simple majority vote. And they also Want to expand settlements in the occupied Palestinian territories, which is the West Bank and East Jerusalem. So uh, they also want, you know, uh, want want to pass more legislation uh, protecting Israel's Jewish identity or whatever. So if they go ahead with the coalition agreement, you would uh, see a different Israel in uh, for five years.
1: Right. It looks like, I mean especially legislations like you know empowering. Uh the the government to sort of pass legislation to override uh, the Supreme Court and so on, uh, that looks like a sort of a t- a tilt towards an authoritarian or a neo-fascist kind of a regime. Some people have used the term neo-fascist for this government. Is that uh, a fear that is widely felt?
0: I think this is more of a. It looks like uh, it's it's it, it looks like an elected representative theocracy now. Netanyahu may not uh, be coming from the clergy. But the clergy is having, or clergy or uh, the ultra-Orthodox Jewish Jewish parties, they have an outsized influence over the government. They always had influence over the government. But now you look at the government, all except Likud, belong to uh, the ultra-Orthodox sections of Israeli society. So it looks more like a representative, or or Israel is rather falling into a representative, you know, uh, uh, an elected theocracy.
1: I mean, ironic as it, I mean uh, ironically enough, uh, then it, it looks like it became like Iran then, a theocracy. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Israeli, yeah. I mean, Israeli uh, democracy is facing serious challenge, uh, if you look at it. You know, the polity has clearly shifted to the right wing. Uh, the left wing and uh, the social liberals have been decimated. They are not able to make a comeback. And then within the right wing, the far right is uh, tightening their grip. And then not just that, Israel is having elections, but at the same time, the proposal to implement uh, legislation uh, such as these, uh, such as you know legislation um, uh, that uh, seeks to uh, undermine the judicial independence, etc., etc., is clearly suggesting that the country is in a very uh, difficult phase. It is undergoing a very difficult phase.
1: Right. In, in terms of its actual agenda, the, the, the explicitly spelt out agenda, you referred to it briefly earlier. Uh, is, is it correct to assume that expansion of the settlements in occupied areas is going to be its official priority going forward?
0: It is. Because Netanyahu said that, in as many words, in Parliament.
1: And how have Palestinian enti- entities such as Hamas and the Palestinian Authority responded to this kind of, uh, uh, sort of uh, approach? or a stance.
0: Yeah, uh, both, both uh, protested the formation of this government. The the Palestinian Authority did, you know, what they do typically, uh, what they whenever there is a crisis, they will ask the United States to do something. So the Palestinian Authority did the same thing. PA announced a statement saying that the US has to rein in Israeli government etc. etc. But more than that the Palestinian Authority itself is you know, it is powerless. I don't think that they have any serious energy left with I'm talking about the authority uh, to take the Palestinian cause forward because even they, they will Abu Mazen's government would continue to cooperate with the Israeli government for security, uh, ensuring security in the occupied areas, etc., etc. And they would, once in a while, they would make some noise about Israeli atrocities and ask the United States to do this and that. And that's what they did. Hamas, on the other side, was, would issue much stronger statement, and they did the same thing this time also. Hamas called it a Talmudic fascist Zionist rightist administration. <laughs> That's what they referred to, yeah, and then they said that there would be uh, you know n number of uh, endless number of rockets and endless number of soldiers are awaiting you. It's a typical Hamas rhetoric uh, so both. I mean, expressed the way they were expected to, they expressed their anger in the way they were expected to express. That's what they did. But more than that, what kind of a crisis this would produce? I think the real crisis is that West Bank uh, is fuming, especially in 2022. At least 450 Palestinians were shot dead in the West Bank alone in 2022. And this is not an organized resistance because the Palestinian Authority, as I said earlier, is not in a position to lead any movement at this point of time. They are wedded into maintaining the status quo.
1: So, these 450 Palestinians were were killed uh, under a centrist government or a non-far right wing government, so to speak. That's right. Okay. Yeah
0: the same government that bombed Gaza in 2022.
1: Okay, now we have got uh, a far-right government which is going to be worse than what was uh, this bad.
0: Yeah, now we have got a far-right government which uh, wants to rapidly expand settlements. For example, Smotrich said that as finance minister, he said that he will do everything he can do to ensure the uh, ensure that new settlements are built. And Ben-Gur is also a huge supporter of settlements. Nadanya, who said that in parliament, that every Israeli... Uh, has the right to live in historical, anywhere in historical Israel. So historical Israel means he is actually referring to historical Palestine. So he was, uh, so Netanyahu was actually saying that he would expand settlements anywhere in the Palestinian territories. So at this point of time, Israel has built massive settlements across area C of uh, uh, the West Bank and also in, in East Jerusalem. So I think, yeah, definitely this government would expand settlements irrespective of the international public opinion, because uh, in the past also they didn't care much, you know, and nobody did anything to stop them. The United States might issue a statement when a new settlement uh, is announced, but that's it. Or. Uh, You know, uh, once in a while the UN would pass a resolution, like in the case of the Obama administration, uh, when Obama was the lame duck president, after Trump was elected, during that period, before Trump's inauguration, the United States had supported one UN resolution condemning Israel settlements in the West Bank. That's it. So beyond these noises, I don't think that anybody would do anything to stop the settlement expansion. All right. So, uh, and this government clearly, uh, looking at uh, the character of the government, I think they would go ahead with further Jewish settlements in the occupied Palestinian territories.
1: Right. Expanding settlements is one thing, uh, but annexing land in the occupied territories, that's something else, right? I mean, how does that likely to go down? Yeah,
0: I think the right-wing parties in the coalition, including Likud, they clearly want wanted to, they want to annex the territories. There is no doubt about it. Netanyahu himself had said this earlier. But annexation at this point of time is not a priority. You you won't see that in the coalition document. And since it is not in the coalition document, and given the delicate regional situation, I don't expect the government to go ahead with their plan to annex the territories. Why? Because I think Israel, you know, even in you know, expan- settlements, the expansion of settlements they've been doing since 1970s, since Menashe and Begin's time. And nobody has done anything to stop them. But annexation would create for you know stronger international response. Not just that. Israel's priority from a foreign policy point of view, I think, is to check Iran. And Israel knows that to check Iran, Israel needs the support of the Sunni Arab Gulf monarchies. The UAE. Morocco, Bahrain and Sudan have already normalized ties with Israel, despite whatever Israel is doing to the Palestinians. And Yair Lapid, the former Prime Minister and, Ho- and Foreign Minister, said in Parliament last week that a normalization of ties with Saudi Arabia could happen soon, within quotes, if the Netanyahu government follows the lead uh, that we took in a relationship. Eli Cohen, the Foreign Minister, said that he is planning to have an Arab-Israel summit in March or April, the Abraham Accord summit. So clearly Israel wants to strengthen ties with, uh, I think, uh, the Gulf countries. And the Gulf countries are also okay. So the status quo is okay, even for the Gulf Kingdoms, even for the Southeast, the UAE. The Israelis can continue the occupation. They can incrementally deepen the occupation. They can build settlements in the occupation. They've been building settlements in the occupied territories. But annexation means that is a break from the status quo and the uae and the saudis would be forced to make some noise the arab there would be some kind of uh, resistance in the arab league etc etc so i think to maintain the balance or to expand israel's relationship with the arab countries the netanyahu government may not go for annexation at this point of time but annexation remains on the agenda it may not be uh, a priority agenda
1: Right. So in terms of uh, Israel's relationships uh, with the Arab world and stance uh, vis-a-vis Iran, there's going to be policy continuity between the earlier regime and the, the new one. I
0: think so. Because, uh, uh, you know, it, this is a two-way road. Israel needs the support of the Arab countries because, um, you know, Arab uh, the Gulf countries means just across the Gulf, just across uh, Iran's borders. So Israel needs them. And the Gulf countries also need Israel because the United States is pivoting away from West Asia. The U.S. focus is now on the one side on Eastern Europe and on the other side is on China. Uh, So the the Israelis have actually proposed to have a common missile defense shield. They've been talking about it, uh, which would protect not just Israel, but also the Arab partners against potential Iranian aggression. So I think the... Israeli-Iranian rivalry is kind of reshaping West Asian geopolitics at this point of time. And this is an irreversible trend. Unless there is some kind of a major dial down or, you know, restructuring of relationship between Iran and the Sunni Gulf Kingdoms. The later, I think, would go on further deepening their relationship with Israel and you don't see any kind of restructuring in relationship between iran and the sunni gulf countries in the near term future so the potential outcome is that or the road ahead is the further deepening or expansion of the abraham accords i don't know when saudi arabia would normalize ties with israel but i think that will happen uh, if Israel maintains the status quo, Israel can, as I said, Israel can continue the occupation. Occupation shouldn't be a problem for the Saudis. It was not a problem for the Emirates, right? Israel, uh, Israel's relationship with uh, the Arab Gulf countries are booming, even when Israel was deepening the occupation of the Palestinian territories. So it shouldn't be a problem for the Saudis also. Maybe at this point of time, the king may have apprehensions, but um, the King is an old man,
1: well what about a country like uh, Qatar for instance Qatar would
0: I think Qatar would not normalize ties with Israel. Israel continues to see Qatar as their number one enemy number one rival in the Gulf because Qatar is uh, Qatar's foreign policy is more of aligned with uh, the, the Turks. The Turks themselves have better ties with Israel that's a different matter, but Qatar supports the Muslim Brotherhood and they have this they, they have taken a more vocal supportive position they have towards the palestinians so qatar no they won't uh, normalize ties with israel but saudi arabia is possible kuwait is possible oman is possible
1: right uh, we're running out of time stanley so one final question related in fact to what you mentioned earlier about the us pivot away from west asia and also the kinds of uh, pressures that are coming to be coming to bear on the relationship between uh, US and uh, Israel and of course the Middle East region as a whole, which is Israel's sort of seemingly changing approach uh, towards the Russia-Ukraine war and sort of deepening of its ties, I don't know, with Russia. Do you see any changes happening there? Uh, is there something happening with the new regime also in particular in terms of uh, the way they are orienting uh, themselves towards the uh, towards the Russians, especially in the context of the Ukraine war? Uh,
0: So we have to uh, wait and see what position Netanyahu is going to take vis-a-vis the conflict. Uh, But Netanyahu had cultivated warm ties with Putin. So uh, even, you know, he used to go to Moscow many, many times a year, Netanyahu, when he was prime minister, many times a year, several times a year, and he would meet Putin. And that was also because Netanyahu wanted a free hand inside Syria to tackle the challenges of Hezbollah and other Iran backed militias. And he didn't want Russia to create obstacles for the Israelis. Even yesterday, uh, you must have seen uh, that the Israelis bombed the Damascus International Airport. So, Israel has uh, actually free access to Syria's skies at this point and Syria's skies is controlled by Putin because Russian, very advanced Russian weapons are placed in Syria. But the Russians have never interfered with Israeli operations inside Syria, which were directed at Iran and Iran-backed militias inside Syria. Uh, so uh, Netanyahu cultivated this relationship. This is one of the reasons that the Israelis took a advanced position to the Ukraine conflict, because Israelis haven't supplied any weapons to Ukraine. They sent only humanitarian aid. Despite the Ukrainian leadership's uh, uh, you know, uh, repeated requests, from the Israelis to send the uh, Iron Dome and other missile defense system, the Israelis have refused to do that. And the Israelis know that I was in Israel a couple of months ago and at least three people, two senior diplomats and one professor who is also wedded to the Israeli establishment agenda, so they, they told me that uh, Israel is doing this because Russia is our neighbor. And why Russia is our neighbor? Because Russia because of Russian presence in, presence in Syria. So they knew that if Israel supports Ukraine, Russia could make it painful for Israel to operate inside Syria. So Israel wanted to retain that balance. So that's what Israel has been doing till now. But I don't know what Netanyahu is going to do next. If Netanyahu concludes that Russian position has been substantially weakened, he could change his policy. Uh, But that is something we have to wait and see.
1: Right. I think that's just about wraps it up for this episode of uh, In Focus. Thank you so much, Stanley, for uh, sharing your thoughts. And instead, I think Netanyahu is going to be around for quite some time, and he's got a stable majority uh, this time. In his coalition, will probably come back and revisit uh, developments around Israel sometime soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.